Now, <clears throat> we're going to continue the series that we've been involved in for the last few weeks about vision. And I don't mean somebody sitting cross-legged on a mountain uh, with their eyes rolling back in their head. I mean, the vision is about what God has spoken over a person or a group of people about what they're to become. And uh, this church has a vision. God has a vision for us. We didn't make it up. God has a vision for his people always. And that includes us, this church. And so the mission, we use the terms mission and vision interchangeably often, but they really are distinct things. Mission is about what, you, what we're to do. Vision is about what we're to be, what we're to become. And God is uh, painting a picture for us of what we are to be. And, and our uh, response needs to be to lean into it. There's a couple of passages of scripture I want to remind you of before we read from Mark 12. One is, it says that without a vision, people perish. That means they just drift by the winds and waves wherever they take them. And <clears throat> that's not a way to live. It's not the way God meant for his people to live. Uh, he meant for us to live on purpose. And so uh, we want to be people of vision, people who have a tight grip on a sense of what God is leading us toward. Uh, but vision leaks. It tends to slip away. And so every 18 months or so, we as a congregation come back to these things just to remind ourselves, and I do that without apology, even though I run the risk of not being uh, seen as uh, novel or you know fresh uh, per se. I, I think it's far more important uh, that we as a congregation uh, regain a tight grip on the things God has called us to than that this preacher person be seen as somebody who knows what he's doing. It's more important that we be a congregation in pursuit of God's vision for us. Then there's Habakkuk chapter 2, which, uh, verse 2, which is on the screen. Write the vision and make it plain. Periodically, we just need to have a concrete reminder of the vision God has spoken over to us so that we can be in hot pursuit of it, so we can run in pursuit of the vision that God has for us. Now, I'm going to put on the screen something you've seen over the last three weeks, and uh, after today, there will be more and more occasion when we do this, where we visit our congregation's vi vision statement. The statement is not what's important, but what is important is that the things that we tried to capture with this statement be burning hot and, uh, and power powerful in our hearts. I believe, in, and, I, and you do too, that's why you're here, and that's why you're part of this church family. I believe God wants us to become a comfortable place to seek. And when I say become, that's because we are, we are not there yet, and we won't be this side of heaven, but we want to keep pursuing these things. We want to be a comfortable place to seek, a dynamic place to worship, a caring place place to heal. We talked about that uh, last week. Today we're going to talk about how God wants us to become a solid place to grow. And next week we'll finish it off by talking about how God wants us to become a joyful place to serve. And those five uh, descriptive terms, comfortable, dynamic, caring, solid, and joyful, are things that I believe the Lord has spoken over this congregation to describe what we are to be. Now, um, I, you, there's lots of ways of defining those terms, but that's why I'm going through this with you in these weeks together so we know what they mean for us. Does that make sense? So when we say we, that the Lord wants us to be a solid place to grow, let's talk about what that means for us. And that's why I've taken you to Mark chapter 12, verse 1. Now, a little caveat here. I'm going to read 
one, a part, only a part of one verse today. That's highly unusual for me, and the reason for that is that I uh, like to make sure that we deal with Scripture in context. So we never want to just lift bits and pieces out of the Bible. When you start doing that, you can make it say whatever you want it to say. And yikes, that's kind of dangerous, don't you think? So uh, I didn't give you a chance to respond, don't you think? Yes. yes. And then, yeah, I do too. So I, I tend to want to deal with whole passages of Scripture. That way we have a good sense that we're, we're looking at it in context. That the, we're hearing it the way the people who first heard it understood it. That's what's important. But today, I want there, there's a reason for what I'm going to do, and I'll explain it, but I just wanted to get it right up front that I'm doing something a little bit different, and I'm not encouraging you to make this your typical practice, okay? Okay? Yes. All right. So chapter 12, verse 1 of Mark says this, Then he, Jesus, began to speak to them in parables. And before I go any further, let me just say that in case you uh, don't know this, um, and it would be likely that you might not because when people talk today about parables, often what they mean are or is a puzzle or a riddle. But that's not how Jesus used parables. He didn't use them to hide truth. Exactly the opposite. He used parables to expose truth, to make them more, to make truth more understandable. He would lay something that they could readily relate to and understand alongside something that he needed for them to understand but they didn't yet. So that he would use something they knew to help them discover something they don't yet know. That's what a parable is and that's how Jesus employed them. That's what he does here. From here on through the end of verse 11 he tells this story and it would be perfectly relatable to them. Even though you and I don't live in an agrarian uh, culture, meaning we're not farmers, we do live in, in wine country. So even us, even we, can relate to this story because it's about a vineyard. And it's about the owner of a vineyard and how he plants his vineyard and how he leases it to people who care for it, the vine dressers. And then he tells us, and he's very clear that this is addressed to the scribes, Pharisees, and religious leaders or let's put it this way, it's about them and how through the history of the Israelites they have poorly treated the representatives of God's kingdom, his servants, his prophets, and ultimately in the story it talks about how these vine dressers, these wicked vine dressers, killed the son of the owner of the vineyard and it's clear he's talking about Jesus himself, the son of God, and what they will do in crucifying him. That's the story. All I want to do is talk to you about the next phrase, phrases. A man planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a place for the wine vat, and built a tower. So he's very specific here about this man, and he, he's made it really, it's absolutely clear the man or the owner of the vineyard is meant for us to understand to be God. That is without question, God plants a vineyard and he does it this way. He builds a hedge around it, he digs a place for the wine vat, and he builds a tower. These three very specific things are included here but they have nothing to do with the rest of the parable. If all this was was a setup for the parable, this was how it would go. A man planted a vineyard, 
and he leased it to the vine dressers and went into a far country. That's all you got to have for the rest of the parable. But Jesus has inserted these three things, these very specific details about how the master of the vineyard sets up his planting, his vineyard, on purpose. God doesn't waste any words. I bet you figured that out. And so these things are not just random insertions. Purposely, Jesus left us some clues here about how God works in his vineyard. We are his vineyard. Did you know that? The Bible through its, through from cover to cover uses this illustration of a vineyard to represent the people of God. We have some, some uh, grapevines growing out in front of our, of our uh, building here. They're not well cared for even though uh, Lamonte, who's teaching in our, uh, one of our classes this morning, really went after them a couple of weeks ago, hallelujah, and trimmed them back and all that. But none of us know what we're doing, so they kind of just... But that's not how God's vineyard is. He's very, very careful about how he, t he creates and tends his people. And that's what we want to look at today. If we're going to be, if Crossroads Foursquare Church is going to be a solid place to grow, we need to take a look at this. But before we get to that, I want to just point out a couple of things I think that will help set the context for, for us anyway and how we see these things because every vineyard, and when I say that I mean church family, is made up of at least three types of people. One I call seedlings. Now I'm not a horticulturalist, I'm not a gardener, don't give me your house plants, I'll kill them. And not because I don't like them, I'm just no good at it. My wife, on the other hand, is. And if you've ever been to our house, you know it's an absolute jungle. And sometimes that's a little frustrating to me. But that's okay. I love the woman who loves those plants. And um, so uh, I've watched her with, uh, you know, taking care of these plants and so on. And I've seen her plant things from seed. It's so amazing to me. This little thing that looks like nothing, you know. It... it it's, it's something I would completely disregard if I didn't know what it was. But she plants this in the dirt, you know, waters it, gives it a little fertilizer or whatever is needed, and pretty soon a plant grows up and blossoms and there's flowers and all this stuff just from that little thing, that little seed. And I believe that there are some of you sitting here right now that you have had your initial springing up your initial sprouting in God right here in this vineyard. You encountered the Lord here and you began to follow him here. And so if that's true of you, this is where you were a, you were a seedling. You, you were planted here as a seed. You, you, you initially blossomed in God here. Would you raise your hand? Yeah. There's another type of person that populates every family of God, and that's somebody that I refer to as a transplant. Now, for reasons that I don't quite understand, there are times when my wife needs to move a plant from one uh, planter or place in our yard to another, 
And she's very careful about this and she digs up around the root ball and she'll usually put a plastic bag around it so it all stays together and then relocate it to where it belongs and then repeats this careful process of planting it and making sure there's plenty of, of soil and nutrients and water and all that and it, it grows, it, it continues to grow and develop, you know, and doesn't really skip a beat. And there are some of you who have are transplants. You, your initial sprouting and God took place someplace else. But for reasons that I don't need to know, it was move or relocation or you just got, I don't know, whatever it is, a wild hair and decided you needed to move on someplace else, you did. And, and you're here now. And there's been a God carefully transplanting you. You might have had some ideas about why this ought to happen, but trust me, God is, is sovereign over all this stuff and he was carefully transplanting you. And so if that's you, you, your initial sprouting was elsewhere, but you've been growing in Jesus here, would you raise your hand? Yeah, yeah. Welcome. <laughs> now, there's another kind of person that populates God's vineyard, and that's a person I call a cutting, cuttings. Now, I've watched my wife do this too, where there's a healthy uh, plant and or actually some, in some cases not so healthy either way and, and sometimes that's the reason for what takes place. Um, but she'll, she has these pruning um, shears or like scissors and she'll cut off a, a, a branch from the plant at a point where uh, usually near uh, where the leaves have been growing where new roots can form and she'll, she'll cut that place uh, and then put that into water or some other medium that's appropriate for that particular kind of plant and then it will uh, uh, send out new roots and, and develop into its own plant and so then she'll take that and put it into a permanent pot or something and now there's a, a new growth. Uh, and that's wonderful to, to see that happen but there's also uh, some things that are not so pleasant or from the plant's point of, point of view anyway because there's some cutting involved, there's some trauma, there's actually some violence that precipitates the new growth, it's cut away, you know. And, um, and if, if that plant, that, that cut part, isn't taken care of quickly, you can't just wait around, the, the, the thing you cut off will die if it isn't taken care of properly and quickly. So, so there's some jeopardy involved in here. It's, it's not, from the plant's point of view, I don't think it's all that pleasant. And I've been, you know, I'm, I'm a lifer in the church. My, I started coming to church when I was in my mother's womb. So before I was born, I was part of this outfit, uh, at least as a, as a, a uh, at least present in church. It wasn't until later that I came to faith in Christ, but that's another story. Anyway, I've been around a long time. I've been a pastor for nearly 40 years and I know that things are not always hunky-dory and you don't even know what that means. Um, <laughs> I know that things are not always perfect in church. In fact, sometimes some of the most tragic things that people experience and this is not God's doing. This is the, this is the strategy of our adversary to create trauma that gets tied to God. Because if he can traumatize you in some way and, and, and link that to God and his church, then you're going to be, uh, all of your 
uh, thinking about God is going to be polluted by that experience and that serves the, el- the devil's plans perfectly. So he works pretty hard at that. So it may be, dear one, that in the course of your church life you have been, for a variety of reasons, failure of leadership, uh, you know, just the, the sin of people had to be severed from a place where you once were growing. Um, but God in his great love for you and me has reestablished you among us. And uh, you've found safety and rest and you've, you've begun to begin to trust not only God but leadership again. Your, your spiritual life is redeveloping. How many of you would raise your hand to say that's true of you? Okay, yeah. So all of us, seedlings, transplants, cuttings, we're all part of the master's vineyard. And this particular field in his vineyard, Crossroads Foursquare Church. And so these things that he says now about how he prepares and uh, operates his vineyard are important for us to take note of. And um, so these are three things I want for you to, to consider with me. He says uh, that uh, God, or the man, the owner of the vineyard, sets a hedge around it, digs a place for the wine vat, and builds a tower. Let's just consider those things. So a hedge, a hedge. Now, in those days, a hedge could be made up of piles of rocks. It could be a, a, a thorn uh, bushes, uh, but it's designed for a couple of things. Number one, for protection, to keep outside things out. And you look, God did not mean for his church to be inward focused or isolated. He meant for, he said go. He meant for us to penetrate the culture with the gospel and, and to take that gospel everywhere and to be unafraid in doing so. But, but he also meant for his church, his vineyard, to be a place of safety, a place of refuge. And one of the things that I am so grateful for the Lord giving us, as Sue and I approach our retirement from pastoring, that God has given us the blessing to be able to be part of a congregation that has been so relatively free of trauma. And the kind of stuff that often happens in churches, that the outside stuff has been kept out. Part of that is because Sue and I, along with uh, other leaders in our congregation, microchurch leaders, ministry team leaders, we are devoted to being vigilant in the spirit, in how we pray for you, and how we pray about our congregation, that the, the strategies of the enemy to ruin us get pushed back. Uh, and sometimes it, it has, you know, it's kind of in un, more uh, unpleasant ways, for me anyway. I, there's, this happens very rarely, but I want to acknowledge it and want you to know about it, not that you need to be afraid that this might happen to you, but there have been times when, very rarely, I've had to ask people to leave our church or pray them out. Now, for a pastor, you know, you just pretty much you want everybody come, you know? But there are times when that's not always the best idea because there are people who bring their agenda and they're just focused on their own um, self-centeredness and their own issues and they're not gonna give them up and they really don't, they're just, they're not looking for healing. They're just wanting to uh, have you um, and us enter their little party. And that, that inserts unrest and potential issues and so forth. And I, I, I'm not going to let that happen. 
so, uh, you know, I just wanted you to know that. So protection, the hedge. God, this is part of God's plan. I mean, meant for his plantings, his seedlings, transplants, and cuttings to be at rest and at ease in the fold, the sheepfold, the vin vineyard of his care. But the hedge also provides, um, it provides definition. In other words, this area, this geographic area is is set off from the one next to it. And the master has, you know, on a whole estate, but there some areas are defined for for his purposes unique to the rest. It's not just one big open field. There are hedges around the different sections of his vineyard. And that's on purpose. Because if you have figured this out uh, then you, you might, um, I, I'm going to kind of give you maybe the answer to the why. There are lots of churches in this world. And sometimes people think, well, shouldn't we all just be one big happy family? Yes, 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 yes. Except, no one church can do it all. Everything that God is up to in this world, come on. There's no way one congregation of people, no matter how big, no matter how many thousands of people you have, can do what Jesus is up to in this world. And so, this part of God's plan, the, the one who, you just look out that window, and the one whose vast variety of creative resources on display all throughout the world, that same uh, trait and, and character of God is present in his church. He, he is uh, he's creative in the way that he does things. I hope that was, are everybody okay? Okay, anyway, and so part of his plan is the vast variety of, of uh, his congregation because he gets the job done that none of us can do all on our own, but that means that a church needs to be, um, pay attention to that. You need to be careful to hold tightly to the things that the Lord has spoken to us and not try to do everything. As a local pastor, let me just give you a little clue. You might not know this, but every single day, this is not an exaggeration, every single day, I am approached by some organization or some person who wants us to be part of what they are doing for the kingdom of God. If I said yes to all of those things, this would not be a safe or a solid place to grow. We'd be so scattered that we wouldn't know what we were doing. I have to say no a lot. In fact, the, the organization that, that our, uh, I was looking at over here at Eileen, the organization that our, our mission team is going to be working with this uh, fall in Kenya, when he first approached me about part participating with them, I told him no. He wanted to see me and I said, sorry, no. <laughs> Had to eat those words and now we're, we're working with them. But it's gotten to be almost a reflex because I am just constantly bombarded and I, I want you to know that this is strategic on my part. I've told our leaders and they're very good at this now over the years they've figured out that don't ever tell me we've got to do this because we always have. Do not tell me that. My nat my, when you say that to me my natural reaction is going to be then we're not doing it anymore. <laughs> now that might be an overreaction but I'm just inclined that way. Look, ministries have life cycles. And things start and then it's time for them to stop. And uh, I, I want to get good and we're getting better at stopping things. Who's 
time has come. You know, they're done. And um, anyway, that's probably more than you needed to know. But I want you to, to understand that there is a perimeter. There's a, there is a design. There is a, a definition to the life of this congregation that we want to be very careful to maintain. We want to fulfill. When we get to, when we stand before God at the end, we want to be able to say to him, or hear him say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. With the Apostle Paul, we want to say, I ran my race. And if we're trying to run everybody else's race, we can't run our own. All right, enough of that. <clears throat> I'm not sure why I spent so much time on that. Anyway, next thing, wine vat, wine vat. Um, I think it's amazing that God from the very beginning when he plants his vineyard, he creates the place for the fruitfulness. He is expecting fruitfulness. It's not, well, let's see, you know, if these plants uh, do well and grow and, you know, fruit is born, all right, then we'll make a place for for the juice to flow after the grapes are crushed. No, he, 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 he builds that in at the beginning because God intends for us to be fruitful as followers of Jesus and as a church family. And he believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. And one of the things that I believe God wants to characterize uh, us forever is that we are a people who believe in what God can do and what God is doing in each other more than each other believes that's true. So, it's about being prepared for fruitfulness. I was thinking this morning, I, you guys might not have even ever seen this, but it's basketball uh, playoff time and we're all anticipating tomorrow night perhaps a, uh, a victory by, uh, by our warriors. Um, so I was thinking about this movie called Hoosiers. It's a basketball movie about this high school team. It's one of my favorite movies and it has so many, so many amazing lessons in it about, about God and about, uh, you know, spiritual things. So I, I love it. But anyway, I was thinking about this scene where this guy named Ollie, who is the, he's the equipment manager for the team. He's short and uh, so he, he's not tall enough to play on the team, a little uncoordinated and everything else, but he kind of does all the grunt work and taking care of the team. But they're in a playoff situation and the, one, of the, um, one of his teammates, they have a very small team, very small school. One of his teammates uh, was injured or fouled out, I forget which, and, and uh, fouled out I think it was. And uh, so he had to go into the game. And um, because he's so short and, and in, uh, uncoordinated, the, it's, uh, the, the, they're down by, by one point. And it's the close of the game. The other team fouls him because they figure he, there's no way he's going to make a shot. So they huddle up and, and uh, his coach, Coach uh, Dale, says to Ollie and to the whole team, he says, when Ollie makes his second shot, doesn't even talk about his first shot. It's a two-shot two foul, right? Doesn't even talk about his first shot. When Ollie makes his second shot, here's what you do. He believed in Ollie more than Ollie believed in himself. And of course, this is fictional and all that, but Ollie goes out and makes both shots. And yes! <laughs> Love that. We want to be that kind of team. I want to be that kind of coach. That's how our God is. Finally, a tower. 
He builds a tower. Now there's two things that these towers were for. One was for providing perspective. The owner of the vineyard could get up there and see everything. See all of his estate and what was going on and kind of manage things from that perspective. And that's the point. Um, a, a solid place to grow. A church who is, which is a solid place to grow will be one who maintains its perspective on the global redemptive program. It's not just about us and about what's happening in our little corner of the world, but about how God has integrated and is integrating us with everything he's doing in the world. That is so important, I can't even, I don't even know how to stress it enough. But then the, the second thing, which is I think even more important, the tower was the residence for the, the owner. When he would come to his estate, he would actually sleep there. He'd live there in that little tower. Um, and it reminds me of a trip, well actually I've made two trips to Great Britain and uh, visited um, royal homes or castles, you know, uh, on both occasions. And one of the things you do when you visit one of these places is you look for the, the queen's flag. If it's flying, that means she actually is there. The queen is in residence when they fly the flag. And um, I don't know why, you're never going to see her, but I mean, it makes it, you kind of get excited. Oh, she's actually here behind those big walls and stuff. But anyway. But isn't it great to know that from the beginning, when God plants his vineyard, he intends to reside there. To make his home and his abode among us. This little congregation out here in Cordelia, the master of the universe wants to live among us. Be present with us. And the pursuit of his presence has to trump everything else. When you leave here today, you get in your car and you drive off to McDonald's or whatever it is you're going to do after. And I know you. I know what you're up to. <laughs> Might even see me in line there. I don't know. <laughs> When you do that and you're in the car with whoever came with you today, my prayer is that the conversation will not be, wow, I wish you'd have let us out a little earlier. <laughs> or, man, what an amazing worship time we had today. And by the way, didn't we? Wow, yeah, awesome. Uh, my, my prayer is that that conversation would go something like this. Man, I experienced God today. Here's what he said to me. Here's what I'm going to do in response to that. I, I, I felt his presence. Man, that, that, that's, that's the whole ballgame right there. Let's agree together that will, that will be always our highest priority. This is recording number 11263 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, June 4, 2017. This is the fourth message in a series titled, Our Vision. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, A Solid Place to Grow.